0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review. You can also support the podcast at Patreon by going to patreon.com bardo That's B-A-I-R-D-O. When I look at communities in Canada, there are a wide assortment of things I can focus on. Perhaps it's the notable people who came from the town, or maybe it's a unique part of its history, and sometimes it's the very people who founded the community itself. For Magog Quebec, it's many different things and many different tales, including that of a legendary beast. The area itself had been settled by the indigenous people dating back 14,000 years before Europeans began to arrive. The first fixture of the town was a fish dam, constructed by the Appenaki nation of people, but it would be abandoned as more settlers came in. The town itself was born in 1776 when Loyalists from Vermont came into the area and named the community The Outlet since the flow of water emptying into the Magog River from the lake happened at that point. Now the history of Magog, at least for Europeans, does begin with the American Revolutionary War but it also begins with a man by the name of Ralph Mary. Now as for Mary, he would arrive in 1799 and settle on the west side of the lake, buying up all the lots around him including the village. At that point he became the new mayor, judge and developer. Mary had served in the American Revolutionary War and after the war would live in Rhode Island and Vermont. Hearing of land in Lower Canada, which was offered freely to anyone who could swear loyalty to the crown, Mary took advantage of this and bought the previously mentioned land. He then began to develop sawmills along the river and an ironworks that failed due to the poor quality of the iron he continued his development of the village with a wool mill general store and carpenter shop in 1818 he helped to erect the first school in the area and his son ralph mary jr would be the first teacher his match factory built in magog was the first in canada in 1823 he His work to build up the community and attract new settlers resulted in a stage stop on the mail route between Montreal and Stansted being set up. Today his home built in 1821 is the oldest structure in the community and Mary would pass away in 1825. Now I'd like to talk about the name itself because it's kind of an odd name for a town. It was officially adopted as the town name in 1855 but its origin is not quite known. It could have been taken from a First Nations word or from the biblical reference to Gog and Magog, a king and his nation referred to in the book of Ezekiel. Magog is also the name of a mythical beast in British folklore, captured by the first king of the Britons. Likely, though, it comes from Lake Memphremagog, which itself comes from the Abenaki term Mempharmagak, which means Great Extent of Water. Now, I'd like to take a moment here. I do apologize if I mispronounce any words here. French is not my first language. I did do some research to see how names were pronounced and I hope I am pronouncing them correct. If not, I do apologize and please send me an email and let me know if I did pronounce anything incorrectly and how I should pronounce it. Now the parents of Alvin Head Moore would come to the Magog area with other loyalists in 1797. Now as for Alvin, he would receive his education at Canadian and American universities and become the president of the Waterloo and Magog Railway, which would eventually become part of the CPR. He was the first mayor of the community he was also the Justice of the Peace for the area and the Commissioner of the Superior Court. In 1896, he was elected to the House of Commons as an Independent, but would lose the next two elections and pass away in 1911. One very interesting person that came from this area, now he didn't stay in the area, but he did come from the area, was Buckskin Joe, who was born on October 4, 1840, near Magog in a log cabin to Samuel and Judith Hoyt. He was originally named Edward Jonathan, but it was a name he rarely ever used. From an early age, danger seemed to follow Buckskin Joe. As a one-year-old baby, his mother heard his cries and came running to find a wild hog had entered the cabin and was running out with her baby in its mouth. She threw a milk stool and the hog dropped Joe and kept running. Is it true? Who knows. But it makes for a great story. Now as a child in school, well, he just didn't go to school very often, choosing to skip and spend his time outdoors. Eventually, the school and his mother... Gave up on trying to get him into school, and his grandfather started to teach him how to use a gun and knife, and he began to wear his hair long. With his grandfather, Joe began to wear buckskin for good. Now as an adult, he would join the J.T. Johnson Wagon Circus, and would tour through the eastern United States as an aerial performer and acrobat. By 1858, at only the age of 18, he had mastered playing the violin, cornet, and clarinet. When the American Civil War began, Joe enlisted with the Union Army and fought with the Army of the Potomac including at the Battle of Bull Run. After the war, he married and continued to learn acrobatics and musical instruments. And he would eventually learn 16 instruments and be able to turn somersaults over the backs of horses, elephants, and camels. In 1870, he would settle in Arkansas City and spend the next 20 years using it as his home base. And for the next three decades, Joe would make his way around America and Canada all the way down to Honduras following gold rushes, mining, and more and he would pass away on April 20th, 1918, having worked 65 different jobs through his life by his own count. His grandson, Dr. Vance Hoyt, would state about his grandfather, Gramp was an example of the essentially untamed. With a keen mind, plenty of curiosity, and a tremendous desire for life and its various manifestations, he was always searching for distant scenes and never reckoning in space or hardship what lay between what he visualized and its accomplishment. Gramp was in fact a Superman, because he was not only untamable, but because he had the raw strength to dare to be unpredictable. Now that amazing life, spread across the continent, began in Magog. I love talking about the people who come from a community and where they eventually ended up. Buckskin Joe was one such person, but so was Emile Aduet. He was born in Magog in 1888, and would go on and would go on to learn a law degree from Laval University. For a time he was the youngest notary in the province. In 1911 at the age of only 22 he was selected to go to London for the coronation of King George and was presented the King's medal by King George himself and if that wasn't enough he also spent some time playing for the Montreal Canadiens the Pole Bridge in Magog would help to make the area famous in 1860 thanks to a drawing published in a New York magazine in the painting the first church in Magog built in 1831 can be seen the house in the painting is believed to be that of Ralph Mary and the painting became quite famous making the bridge famous, making the area famous, with copies of it hanging around the United States and Canada. And as for the artist, it was William Bartlett, who was born in London and travelled throughout Canada documenting the landscape and its structures. I would like to talk about My Canadian Journal, an excellent diary from the wife of a Governor-General, and it provides a great look at the community during its early years, and she describes Magog in her journal as such. Sir Hugh Allen's steamer met us, and in her we spent an hour and a half going to Magog, where I am now, and where we arrived at 10am. We were drawn up a mile up to the hotel by boys and soldiers. Saturday, 17th. Our hotel is an ordinary country inn, and the view from the windows is not remarkably pretty, which is a fault of those who chose the site, as they might have had very fine views. Sir Hugh Allen came for us at 10, and we steamed up the lake in his yacht. When we got to the steamer again, we had a thunderstorm, but reached Magog safely at 7.30. Sunday, 18th, very showery and thundery, and a wretched day to spend at a country inn. We went to church, and we were preached to by an American bishop. He, the Bishop of New Hampshire, came to see us at lunchtime. Monday, 19th, we left Magog by train for Bolton. Now I'm going to close out this episode with something unique, because no mention of Magog would be complete without talking about Lake Memphremagog. The lake sits between Newport, Vermont and Magog, but it is mostly in Quebec, roughly 73% of it in fact. Of course, no speaking of this lake is complete without mentioning Memphrey, the creature that apparently lives under the waves of the lake. First reported in 1816, it would be seen over the years with the last time being in 2005. Now, The tales of Memphrey go back many years. There is apparently a Viking petroglyph on top of a mountain in the area that shows a serpent. But this should be taken with a grain of salt as there is no evidence the Vikings ever made it this far inland. Of course when Europeans did arrive to the area they were warned by the First Nations not to swim in the lake because of what was in the water. Now if you've not heard of Memphrey compared to the Loch Ness or Ogopogo, that's normal. Memphrey is not advertised or commercialized and you can't find a shirt with his name on it. Which adds to the charm of the suspected beast and one of the earliest descriptions of the creature comes from Norman Bingham in his novel The Sea Serpent Legend in 1926. In the book, he described the creature in the lake as follows through a poem. They saw a monster dark and grim, coming with coiling surge and swim, with lifted head and tusk and horn, fierce as the spirit of Hades born. As of 2001, there have been 223 reported sightings of Memphrey from 465 witnesses. In 2011, an artistic impression of Memphrey would appear on the coloured Canadian Quarter. That's a great way to close out a story about a very interesting town with some very interesting people who have come from it. Information for this article comes from Wikipedia, The Huffington Post, Mysteries of Canada, The Virtual Museum of Canada, The Canadian Encyclopedia, The Origin and Meaning of Place Names in Canada. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please again, a rating and review. You can also email me at CRWBAIRD at gmail dot com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website at Canada That's ehx.blogspot.ca. dot